0: The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Again, the New Testament reading will be John 20, verses 1 through 28. Um, John 20, verses 1 through 28. I keep uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 as a stated sermon text, even though we'll spend no time there at all. I just want us to remember that we are actually in a sermon series through the book of Genesis, and it is this passage that has prompted a focus on the doctrine of the Sabbath. Uh, We're going to spend all of our time, in fact, In the New Testament today. Let us give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let us go now to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 28. This is a larger text. Let us pay attention to God's holy word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. This was the tomb that Jesus had been laying in. While it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so am I sending you.' And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, "'Receive the Holy Spirit.' If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. This is now the fifth sermon that I have devoted to the doctrine of the Sabbath, And I anticipate that there will be seven in total in this series. And I hope that you would agree with me that the doctrine of the Sabbath is very important. And it's also a very practical doctrine worthy of this kind of attention. It is an important doctrine because it has to do with the proper worship of God. One of the questions that we are addressing when we talk about the Sabbath is, how is God to be worshipped? Is there a set time to worship Him? Is there a particular day on which He is to be worshipped? And, and I do hope that you would agree with me that this is an important question to ask. What Christian would dare say that we need not be concerned with the proper worship of God? And indeed, the Sabbath day is a day for worship. God set it apart as holy. Remember, it is a day for holy convocation. That means it is a day for the people of God to gather together for religious purposes. And so please hear me. It it is true that God is to be worshipped by the individual Christ follower always. You agree with this, right? When are we to worship God? Well, there is a sense in which we are to say we are to worship Him all the time, always, unceasingly. And so by no means am I disagreeing with this. God's people are to worship Him every day and in everything. We are to give glory to God in our eating and drinking. We are to give Him praise in the home. We are to give Him glory in the workplace and also in the public square. God is to be glorified in our every thought, word, and deed, and the whole of our lives is to be lived as an act of worship before The Lord, And and this is what the Apostle meant when he wrote to the Roman Church saying, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, With this, I I wholeheartedly agree. There is a sense in which worship is to be a 24-7 kind of thing, Uh, But it is also true that God has set apart a time for corporate worship. Uh, God is to be worshipped in a pronounced and particular way by His people collectively. Uh, This He has prescribed in His Word. And remember, this was true for Adam and Eve in the garden. The seventh day was blessed by God and set apart as holy, even for them in that place that we call paradise. Uh, This was true after man's fall into sin. Remember that even Cain knew to bring sacrifices to the Lord in the course of time. And this was obviously true under Moses. The Israelites were to gather for worship on the Sabbath day, and also on other days set apart by the Word of God under the Mosaic Covenant. And here's what I am laboring to convince you in in this series. Just as it was true then, under Moses, Adam, and under Moses, and in the time in between. Uh, Just as it was true then, so it is true now, under the new covenant, which has been ratified in Christ's blood, a day for Sabbath-keeping remains for the people of God. The Christ follower is to worship God always and in everything, yes, but in particular, God is to be worshipped by His people one day out of seven, The day is now Sunday. It is the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath. The doctrine of the Sabbath is very important because it has to do with the proper worship of God. And this doctrine is also very practical, and I hope that you are seeing this. It has to do with how we live our lives. It has to do with how we spend our time. We live in time. Have you ever thought about that? God does not live in time. But we do. We live in time. We only have so much of it... To spend, how often do you check the clock each day? We have to know what time it is, because we live in time. We are bound by it. We only have so much of it to spend. Time is one of those things that God has given to us to spend. We have money to spend, don't we? We have energy to spend, both mental and physical. And we have time to spend. And the way that we spend these things says a lot about who our God is, doesn't it? How we spend our time, our energies, our money. And so, I ask you, is God Lord over all of these things, including your time? And the doctrine of the Sabbath is immensely practical in that it addresses how we spend our time, day by day, week after week. Whether or not we observe it and follow God's word concerning time says a lot about Christ's Lordship over us. Whether or not He is Lord, Uh, truth be told, and this is my feeling, uh, many resist the doctrine of the Sabbath because they do not want to surrender their time to God. They might be willing to surrender some of their money. They might be willing to surrender some of their energy. But many, I am afraid, are unwilling to submit to God when it comes to time. They wish to be free to do what they want to do with their time. And so you see, in the moment you admit that the doctrine of the Sabbath is true, then you are to surrender even your time to God, saying, Lord, I will diligently work six days to your glory, and I will also rest and worship for one in obedience to your holy word. The observation of the Lord's Day Sabbath is one of those things that shows that Christ is your Lord. Many say that Christ is Lord, but the scriptures are clear that it is what we do that ultimately proves whether or not Christ is Lord. Many say that Christ is Lord, but the scriptures are clear that uh, you will recognize them, that is, those who are true disciples of Christ, by their fruits, Matthew seven sixteen. Christ also said, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. It is an evidence that truly Christ is Lord, that He is the one that you love supremely. And I am saying that one of the signs that a person is truly a follower of Christ, a lover of Christ, is that they honor the Sabbath day according to the Word of God. And so this doctrine is immensely important. It has to do with the worship of God, the proper worship of God. And it is also practical. It's definitely worthy of our attention And so here is the question that is before us today. Is there a day that is set apart as holy and blessed under the new covenant? This is really the pressing question. Is there a day that is set apart as holy and blessed under the new covenant? In other words, now that the Christ has come, does a Sabbath day remain for the people of God? It should be recognized that the answer to the question, is there a Sabbath day for the people of God, is not at all difficult to answer if we are thinking of that time from the creation of man through to the death of Christ. Are you with me? Let us think of that period of time from creation up until the death of Christ. Was there a Sabbath day during that period of time? how 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 could you debate this? Of course there was. It was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, Indeed, it was observed by Adam's descendants up until the time of Moses. Certainly under Moses, even Christ himself kept the Sabbath day. It's abundantly clear that Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus himself... They were to honor the Sabbath day. And it should also be said that everything we have learned concerning the Sabbath day from Genesis through to the end of the Gospels points in the direction of a weekly Sabbath lasting until the end of time when the rest that is typified by the Sabbath day is finally and fully enjoyed By the people of God. All evidence points in this direction that the Sabbath law, which was given at creation, will last, it will remain until God's people enter into the fullness of eternal rest, of which the Sabbath day was a symbol. But still, to be thorough in this series, which is the thing I am trying to do, we must ask Is there a day that is set apart as holy and blessed under the new covenant? In other words, is there evidence that Christ and his disciples approached one day out of seven as blessed and holy after Christ's resurrection from the dead? And if so, which day is it? Now, where should we go in the scriptures to answer this question that we're now addressing? Uh, The answer is that we must pick up where we left off last week at the very end of the Gospels, which tell us of Christ's resurrection and also His activities prior to His ascension to the Father. The Gospels conclude with information about this 40-day period of time. Christ rose from the grave. He showed Himself alive to His disciples. He spoke to them. He met with them. He gathered with them. And then He ascended. And the Gospels, they reveal something to us about what Christ did in that time. We must go there where we left off to the very end of, of the Gospels. After this, we must also consult the book of Acts, which describes to us the Acts of the Apostles. And after that, we must also inspect the letters of the New Testament, that is, Romans, through Revelation, and ask, is there any evidence that the apostolic church approached one day out of seven as blessed and holy unto the Lord and set apart for worship? When all is considered, the answer is going to be very clear And the answer is yes, one day out of seven was approached by Christ and His disciples as holy, as distinct from the other days of the week. This day was the day on which Christ rose from the dead. It was the day on which the disciples of Christ gathered together for worship. On this day Christ met with His followers, either bodily prior to His ascension or in the Spirit from the day of Pentecost forward. The day that is marked off as blessed and holy under the new covenant is not Saturday, but Sunday. The Saturday, seventh day Sabbath, belonged to the old covenant and its works principle. The Sunday, first day Sabbath, belongs to the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. It is the day on which our Lord raised from the dead and entered into His rest. It is called in the New Testament the Lord's Day. How anyone could disagree with these things, I really do not know for sure. And and by anyone, I mean Bible-believing Christians. How anyone could disagree with these things, I, I don't really know. I think one reason for the confusion is that some assume that God's Word must say things directly in order for that thing to be true. Some will not believe that Sunday is the Lord's Day Sabbath, unless the New Testament bluntly says, Thou shalt honor Sunday as the Sabbath day. Are you tracking with me? And so here is their expectation. If something is to be believed, it must be stated bluntly in this way. Uh, Those who reject Sunday as the Christian Sabbath... And they believe that it is still Saturday or believe that the Sabbath is no more insist upon this kind of directness or bluntness from scripture but but who is to say that the scriptures must reveal truth in such a blunt and direct way always is it not always is it not also possible that God expects us to study the whole of scripture and to pay, and to pay very careful attention to what is going on as, as we study it I would argue that a lot of doctrine is in fact communicated in this way. It is not always stated with such directness, but doctrines are developed in Scripture over time and from passage to passage. I think the classic example of this is that of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Never do the Scriptures say bluntly, God is triune, do they? In fact, that word is found nowhere in the pages of Holy Scripture. But that He is triune is abundantly clear when we take the whole of Scripture into consideration. And what about the way in which the Old Testament spoke concerning the coming Messiah? Think with me about this. How did the Old Testament speak concerning the Messiah who would come in the future? Never did the Scripture say, a man named Jesus will be born to a woman named Mary, etc., etc., and He will be your Messiah, but truth concerning the coming Messiah was progressively revealed over time in many different ways, through many prophecies, through types, through shadows. Is it, it is not that the scriptures are unclear concerning these things. They are exceedingly clear. And they are also rich and vivid because of the way in which God has communicated these truths to us. What I'm saying here is that when things are stated bluntly, they might be clear, but they sometimes lack The vividness that would otherwise come if if the truths are communicated in a more diverse way, in a more complex way. And I think that is what we have going on with the doctrine of the Sabbath. It's not stated bluntly in the New Testament, but when we pay careful attention to the teaching of Scripture concerning the Sabbath day, it is clear it's also rich, it's also vivid. Not only do we know that we are to honor the Sabbath day, which under the new covenant is Sunday, the Lord's day, but we also understand why. And what the day signifies because of how God has revealed these truths in His Word. We're able to see what the day signified at the beginning and how it has has changed and what has remained the same. Is it complex? Yes, it is rather complex. But we are able to understand so much more about the Sabbath day because of the way that God has revealed it to us. He has revealed it not in a blunt and wooden way but progressively And in concurrence with the development of the history of redemption, the doctrine of the Sabbath is rich, it is vivid, it is beautifully complex. Uh, To the seventh day Sabbatarian, or to the anti Sabbatarian, I would simply say you have not paid careful attention to God's word from Genesis to Revelation on this subject. You have dropped the ball somewhere, either in the beginning, middle, or the end. And this is why you are out of step with the practice of the church from the day of Christ's resurrection onward. Uh, This doctrine is complex and it has developed throughout the history of redemption. Um, And we must pay careful attention to what is going on. In this sermon and in the two following sermons, we are going to consider the end of the Gospels through to the end of the book of Revelation. Looking for evidence that will help us to answer the question, does a day of Sabbath keeping, remain for the people of God under the new covenant? And if it does, which day is it? Uh, Today, in the short time that we have remaining, sometimes my introductions are very long, I know, Uh, we're simply going to consider the end of the Gospels, which tell us of the resurrection of Christ and His appearing before His disciples in His resurrection body. Are you with me still? We're just going to look at the very end of the Gospels and say, is there any evidence there? What did Christ do when he raised from the dead and showed himself alive to his disciples for that 40 day period of time? And listen to me now. I will admit it that the evidence I am about to present to you in favor of Sunday being the Christian Sabbath would not be terribly strong if it were the only evidence. Are you hearing me? But the evidence I am about to present to you becomes very strong and significant when combined with all that the Old Testament has to say and all that the New Testament will say concerning the Sabbath day. Here we are simply observing that Christ Himself, after He rose from the dead, established the pattern of meeting with His gathered disciples on Sunday, which is the day of His resurrection and is also called the Lord's Day. Who changed the Sabbath day? The answer is Christ did. Christ is the one who established a new pattern of one and six instead of six and one. Uh, the answer is that Jesus is the one who changed the Sabbath after he rose from the dead. Consider Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Uh, there we read, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Uh, simply notice for now Uh, The emphasis that is placed upon the day, Uh, there is repetition in this passage. This happened after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Notice also that Sabbath here is a reference to the Jewish seventh day Sabbath. Christ was in the tomb on that day where he tasted death for us, but he was raised on the first day of the week. Uh, In verses 2 through 7, we find an account of the empty tomb and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow and for fear of the guards for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men but the angel said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen and he said come see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples, that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, listen carefully here, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet. And what did they do? If you're following along, they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. That is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Notice this. Christ met with his disciples who were gathered together on the day of his resurrection, which was Sunday, the first day of the week. Notice that he met with them when they were assembled together. And what did he do? But he greeted them. He greeted them. And they did what? They worshipped him. This is, in fact, what Christ does with us even today. He greets us, calls us together, is present with us as we worship Him. A pattern is being established here. That is what I am saying. Mark 16, don't turn there. I'm not going to read the text. But I will simply say that similar observations could be made from Mark 16, as were made about Matthew 28. For the sake of time, we're not going to read the passage in its entirety. But again, It emphasizes Jesus meeting with His disciples on the day of His resurrection, which is Sunday. They are gathered together, and He appears in the midst of them. On what day? On Sunday, the day of His resurrection. Luke 24. I'd like to spend the most time in this passage. Luke chapter 24. It's one of my favorite texts. It's where the name of our church is drawn from. Um, It needs to be considered. Um, But before we... Look at Luke 24. Notice how chapter 23 of Luke concludes. It describes the burial of Christ, which took place on Friday night before sundown. And then it ends with these words, on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Luke 23, 56. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Again, this is a reference to the Jewish seventh day Sabbath. But I think it is interesting that the doctrine of the Sabbath is emphasized by Luke in connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's as if he wants for our minds to go there, to the Sabbath and to that principle. And then chapter 24 begins with these words, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Again, we find the story of an empty tomb and the angel that appeared there. I won't read all of that. Drop your eye down to verse 13. Verse 13. And it's there that we find the story of the risen Christ meeting with two of His disciples who were discouraged. They were walking away from Jerusalem and toward a town called Emmaus. They thought that this man that they had placed all their hope in was dead and there was no more to the story. They were leaving. I'm not going to read that passage either. It should be familiar to you. But notice a few things. One, Jesus appeared to these disciples on Sunday the day of His resurrection. Two, notice what He did when He met with them. He broke bread with these disciples on this Sunday, the day of His resurrection, and pay careful attention to the language that Luke used to describe this. Look at verse 28 of Luke 24. Verse 28 of Luke 24. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, And he, Jesus, acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Uh, Remember that they still do not recognize him at this point. When he was with them at table, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Do you hear the language? You should be able to catch it. You should recognize the phrase here, Uh, Luke did not say that Jesus simply ate a meal with them. If all he wanted to communicate was that they had dinner together, he could have said that they had dinner together, even though they didn't call it dinner then, probably. Um, He could have just said that. Uh, But instead, Luke uses terminology that should catch our attention. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. This is clearly meant to remind us of the institution of the Lord's Supper, which was described by Luke back in 22.19. Which says, And he, Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is what I mean when I say to you that we must pay attention when reading the Scriptures. In Luke 22, the disciples are commanded by Christ to do this, that is, to break bread in remembrance of Him. And then in Luke 24, the same language is used to describe Christ doing this very thing with His disciples after His death, burial, and resurrection. And when did He do it? He did not wait till the Saturday came around, as if He were going to reaffirm Saturday as the the, the Sabbath day, the, the day that is to be set apart as holy, the day that the disciples are to worship, the day that they are to rest. But He does it on Sunday, the day of his resurrection. And so a new pattern is clearly being established here. Christ broke bread with his disciples on Sunday, the day of his resurrection. He observed the Lord's Supper, as we call it, with them. Three, notice that Christ ministered the word of God to these disciples on Sunday, the day of his resurrection. In Luke 24, 27, we read that beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I absolutely love this passage, as you know. I could probably talk for a long time about how important this verse is to the proper interpretation of scripture and the proper focus of preaching. Really now is not the time though, but what did Christ do on Sunday evening with these disciples? What did he do with them? He broke bread with them, and he also ministered the word of God to them. And what did he preach when he was there with his disciples who were on the road to Emmaus and now in Emmaus? What did he preach? Christ preached about himself. And I suppose that this is the only instance in which it is appropriate for a preacher to preach about himself. Right here in Luke chapter 24, when Christ did it on that first Lord's Day. And what did he preach about himself from? What text did he go to? We are told that beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He showed how the Old Testament pointed forward to to him as the Christ, as the Messiah. Have you ever wondered where the apostles of Christ learned to interpret the Old Testament scriptures correctly? Think about this. The, the, The New Testament says a lot about the Old Testament. It gives us the proper interpretation of the Old Testament. It's no secret that there were many interpretations of the Old Testament, even in Jesus' day. People had different opinions about it. Uh, The New Testament gives us the proper interpretation of the Old Testament. Where did the apostles learn to interpret the Old Testament properly? Now, I am not in any way disregarding the importance of inspiration, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I am also saying that Jesus taught his disciples, a disciple is a learner how to rightly handle the Old Testament Scriptures. I think that went on throughout Jesus' ministry, but I think there was a... Class was in session, is what I'm saying, in this 40-day period of time in between Christ's resurrection and His ascension. He was showing them in probably a more direct way than ever before how all of the Old Testament points forward to Him. He taught them, and therefore they wrote and taught what they wrote and taught according to the commandment of Christ. Four... Notice the result of Christ breaking the bread and ministering the word with these disciples. In verse 31 of Luke 24, we read that their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And after Jesus departed, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? This, brothers and sisters, is what we should expect to experience each Lord's Day when we gather together to hear God's Word and to break bread together with Christ in our midst. We should expect to see Jesus, not with our physical eyes, but with eyes of faith and by the Spirit. We should expect to be encouraged by Jesus as He is proclaimed from all the Scriptures. A new pattern is being established here in Luke 24, is what I am saying. Christ met with His disciples on Sunday The day of his resurrection, he blessed them, he broke bread with them, he ministered the word of God to them. Sunday is the day where God meets with his people to bless them according to his word. Five, notice the impulse of these two disciples in Luke 24. Their impulse was not to remain by themselves, but to gather together with their brothers and sisters in Christ so that they might celebrate Christ's resurrection together. Verse 33, of Luke 24, it says, And they, these two, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see the pattern here. You see the emphasis on disciples gathered and Christ coming in their midst, to minister to them and to have fellowship with them. By the way, it is interesting, I think, that Christ was concerned not only for the large gathering of His disciples in Jerusalem, where most of them still were, but He did go and meet, even with those two who were especially discouraged in this time. Now, if we were to continue on with verses 36 through 49, uh, many of the same points that were made above could be made all over again, as Jesus appeared before his disciples who were gathered in Jerusalem. So here again, there they are gathered in one place, and the same sort of thing happens all over again in that place. When? On Sunday evening, the, first, the day of, of Christ's resurrection, the first Lord's Day. The point is that a new pattern was established by Christ. Under the new covenant, Christ meets with his gathered people, that is the church, in a pronounced way. This He does on Sunday, the day of His resurrection and rest, which is also called the Lord's Day. Now, let us very briefly consider John 20, which was read at the beginning of this sermon. Uh, The account is very similar to the other Gospels concerning the discovery of the empty tomb in the morning on the first day of the week and the appearance of an angel. But in verse 19 of John 20 we read, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, do you hear the repetition? There's emphasis here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands on his side. Then he, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, the interesting thing is that John, John's gospel tells us in verse 26, that eight days later, his disciples were inside again, this time Thomas was with them. Remember, he was absent the first time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and again said, peace be with you. That is John 20, 26. Almost all commentators agree that the phrase eight days later is referring to the following Sunday For the Jewish custom for counting days was to include the current day as well as the day being referenced in the counting. So eight days later from Sunday is Sunday. It sounds strange to you and me, but it's hard to find a commentator who won't admit this. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is how the Jews counted in that day. This was their custom and so what is the point? Here, John and his gospel, he could have told us a lot of things. Do I think that Jesus appeared to other disciples um, in the middle of the week? Probably. I, I don't think there's any reason to think not. But what is the pattern that we see established here? It's that Christ's disciples, they're getting together. They're assembling together on which day, all of a sudden? on On Sunday. You might say, well, of course they gathered together on that first Sunday because they wanted to console one another concerning... Uh, Christ's death. But why? They did not know that he was going to rise. But there they are together on Sunday and Christ comes to them and meets with them and he greets them and he ministers to them. He encourages their hearts on that day. It is John's gospel, I think, that is most interesting though because John is clear that eight days later, that is the following Sunday, the disciples are doing the same thing again. They're assembling together together On the day of Christ's resurrection, it is on that day that Christ comes with His people, gathered and blesses them in this way, saying, Peace be with you. Christ gathered with them as they assembled together. He blesses them. He also encourages one of His disciples who was doubting. His name was Thomas. And I think this is a very important story. It shows us how Christ does strengthen the faith of His people when He Meets with them as they gather together on the Lord's Day. Now, as I said before, by way of conclusion, if this were the only evidence for the continuation of a Sabbath day under the new covenant and a changing of that day from Saturday to Sunday, I would probably admit that the evidence would be rather weak. But when we look at these passages in the Gospels, being mindful of all that the Old Testament has said and all that the New Testament will have to say to us in the weeks to come concerning the Sabbath day, These events of Christ meeting with His disciples in His resurrection, I think they become very significant. They show us where this practice of gathering together on Sunday came from. It was not developed late in the history of the church, but it was a pattern established by Christ Himself. And these stories, they're telling, aren't they, as to what Christ intends to do with His people when He meets with them on the Lord's Day. He will be present with us. He will bless us. He will greet us. He will encourage our hearts when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Here He is in the midst of us. He will be present in the preaching of His Word. Brothers and sisters, I'm trying to convince you in a rather rather thorough way that we are to approach each Sunday as a day that is holy. The whole day. From beginning to end. It is a day that is holy. It is a day that is set apart as distinct. It is a blessed day. It is a day where we are to find blessing in Christ. We must approach it as such. And here, by way of brief application, I would just ask you this question. What would it do for your soul if you were to follow these things? If you were actually to approach this day as holy? What would it do for your soul if you were to slow down if you were to put a stop to your, your, your normal and common endeavors, put a stop to your work, put a stop to those things that are appropriate for the other days of the week, what would happen if you really did? I'm not talking for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. You rush into church, sit down and say, okay, here it is. But what would happen if you took the whole day and approached it as holy unto the Lord as a day that is blessed? What if you, you ceased from your... Common employments? What if you ceased from your common recreations and you gave yourself to the things of God? To gathering together with the people of God for worship, to, to godly discussions with your family, to reading good material, uh, the scriptures or some other book that explains the scriptures. What would it do for your soul? Uh, so often I have heard people say, when I encourage them to do this thing or that for the good of their soul, well, I just can't find the time. I'm too busy. But the thing is, is that God Himself has given us a remedy for that, for the thing called busyness. He has given us the Sabbath day, a day for us to cease from these things, to give our attention fully to Christ, fully to God. I'm suggesting to you that you'll benefit greatly, brothers and sisters, if we would only obey this command that the Lord has given to us. The Sabbath day remains for the people of God under the new covenant. It is Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. It is called the Lord's Day. Let us approach it as such. Bow with me for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, uh, which is clear, uh, Lord, but also it does take work for us to pay careful attention to what is being taught from beginning to end. Help us in these things, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all, that they would truly believe that a Sabbath rest remains for us today. And Father, having believed it, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep it. Uh, Not in a legalistic way, in the way that the Pharisees did uh, in in your day, Christ, Uh, but Lord, uh, from the heart, having your law written on our heart, Lord, may we approach this day as holy and blessed. Lord, my prayer is that you would bless your people, that we would be strengthened in our faith, that we would be purified, that we would grow in knowledge, that we would grow in our love, for you and for one another, and I pray that much of that would happen on this day of the week, the Lord's Day, as we assemble together and as we give attention to you. Father, help us now in these things we pray, in Christ's name, and all of God's people say, Amen.